Thanks for listening to the Swearing In Podcast, where you'll hear the origin stories of those who chose to serve. So ground your gear, take a seat, and listen up. The Swearing In Podcast starts right now. Welcome to the Swearing In Podcast. I'm your host, Marty Smith. My guest today is retired Air Force Master Sergeant Shannon Singleton. Shannon grew up in Scarborough, West Virginia, and graduated from Oak Hill High School in 1997. He joined the Air Force on a delayed enlistment and went to basic training in February 1998. His AFSC was 1-0, Operations Intelligence and he attended tech school at Goodfellow Air Force Base, San Angelo, Texas. His first assignment was to Schriever Air Force Base, Colorado, with the 11th Space Warning Squadron. His next assignments included Scott Air Force Base, Illinois, Osan, Korea, and Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, Ohio. In 2009, he deployed to Kabul, Afghanistan. He returned with an assignment to Washington, D.C., followed by his last assignment to Barksdale Air Force Base, Louisiana. Shannon retired in 2019. This concludes your pre-brief. Now let's get on with the interview. Joining me today is retired Air Force Master Sergeant Shannon Singleton. Shannon, thanks for taking the time today. Absolutely my pleasure. Where did you grow up at? So I grew up in a place called Scarborough, West Virginia. If you've ever been around West Virginia, the New River Gorge Bridge is about, you know, 10 miles away. And that was our claim to fame. Where's the Mountaineers at from you? Uh, That is the northern part of the state. Um, I was about an hour and a half away from the uh, Marshall Thundering Hood. Oh, okay, All right. Right, I was on the good. southern. I was I was south central of the state. <laughs> very good. Okay, where'd you graduate uh, high school from? Oak Hill High School back in 1997. What were your plans after high school? My initial plan was take a year off um, before I went to college because I was just tired of doing school stuff, and uh-huh. then I was going to go to college, which. Um, Mom never said too much about it, and neither did Dad, but Dad was not happy at that idea. He wanted me to do something a little bit more with my life than just kind of, you know, catch a breather. Um, oh, he did he want you to go right into college after high school? He wanted me to do something. Uh, he didn't want me to lose momentum to where yeah. I would just kind of lay about. It's huh, yeah. good. So, which, as, as a parent now and as an adult, I 100% understand. Well, how did it play out? Did you take that year off? No, I didn't. So um, when I, so I graduated from Catholic school uh, from eighth grade, from first to eighth. Okay. And so I went into high school and my mom thinking, hey, um, girls like a guy in uniform and I need all the help I can get. Um, she got me signed up for the brand new Army JRTC program um, that was at the high school. Really? So I was there and this was, you know early part of the 90s so the sergeant major and the lieutenant colonel there were both vietnam vets yes and the sergeant major was probably uh, sergeant major tenney was probably one of one of the the top five human beings i've ever met in the world or will ever 
Um, really? Great guy. Oh, he he turned around students who the school system had just said, we don't care. Um, he, he turned around some students that were getting into drugs that were wow. they just didn't care because no one cared about them. Yeah. And he was able to kind of turn around. He would sit down and talk to them like adults. Yeah. Uh, and help him out. I mean, it's, it's amazing the turnaround that he had. And I, it was phenomenal because for some of us students, we were just there. It's like, this is amazing. Like, like someone who actually cares. Well, but, but cares, but is not at the same time is not like a pushover guy. Right. No, 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 no. Um, um, he was a tree um, fell on his property and it was lodged in between two other trees. So he climbed up on a ladder to cut the tree and when it did, he didn't know that it had spun a little bit. So it unspun himself and threw him through the air. And he ended up um, uh, doing some damage to his upper back and his neck. So he was in a neck bracing. Um, oh, wow. Two weeks after that, he's doing push-ups with us on the floor saying, huh. why are why am I doing this in a neck brace and you can't even do two? Wow. Wow. So he, he, was, he was the epitome of that just kind of soft-spoken hardcore kind of guy who just wanted to push you to be your best without, you know, throwing you off the cliff to see if you could fly. Yeah. He didn't demean you. He didn't uh, coddle you. He was just right in that sweet spot where you wanted to follow this guy and live up to his challenge. I would imagine. Yes, exactly. I mean, we would have followed him anywhere. Was he on the high school staff? No. So we actually had a, a vote a VOTEC, a vocational technical school that was on the same campus as the high school. Okay. Uh, so he was kind of, he was on the VOTEC staff as a teacher and he was still a retiree from the military and he was still being paid by the army to, to be a teacher kind of thing. It was one of those, yeah. it, it's not like the colleges where they're still active duty on the ROTC programs. Uh, the JRTCs, you know, it's retired guys who are just running those things. And I got you. He was there for, uh, I think, before he retired, he did 21 years as a JRTC instructor. And most of us of his first run of students, we were getting ready to retire from the military. Uh, We came back and we threw him a uh, a going away retirement ceremony. Oh, wow. What was his name? Raymond Tinney. Amazing guy. Uh, Just um, he got me from being just a a shy dork who could barely talk in front of two people um, into, you know, cause I had never had a C in my life at that point. Um, yeah. Not because I was smart, just because I, I, I knew how to take tests. Okay. Um, and he made me the battalion chaplain. And so at the, huh. anytime something we had an event, it was one of those, Hey chaplain, you came from Catholic school. Yeah. Yeah. I see. Invoke it. us. Um, <laughs> And so I was getting a C in the class and my mom, she sat down. She's like, why is my son getting a C in the class? He's like, he knows his stuff. He's able to do all the drill movements because that's part of what we do on. He's got that. But he has no real self-confidence or or self-esteem or any of that stuff. He can't talk in front of groups. And this is what we need from him. We This is part of it. He needs to be more, you know, kind of involved, not being a wallflower. Wow, that's fascinating. I I I took that I I took that completely to heart, and um, I I ended up uh, being the battalion sergeant major my senior year, and the previous year, um, 
I was the uh, the XO for the squadron for half the year, or for sorry for the battalion for half the year. So you joined what your junior year into JROTC, freshman year, all four freshman years. Year. So did is there a history of military in your family? There is, but it's not. Uh, so my my dad was uh, he went to the army in Vietnam, wow. um, basically getting ready to get drafted. So he went ahead and signed up. Yeah, he signed up for the army because it was only two years. He only stayed a couple of years. Um, he had a slight issue with uh, with alcohol and authority. Yeah, um, he made E four twice. Um, <laughs> okay, <laughs> uh, he uh, his first sergeant made a comment that he didn't like, and uh, so he decked him. Well, that'll do, that'll do it. Yeah, I mean, this is Vietnam era kind of guys. I know. So yeah, yeah, they're, they're rough and tumble. Um, you know, my dad went to Nam and he was, he was a dentist. Like that's the MOS that he was in. And, but they didn't care. They're like, okay, you know how to patch people up. It's like, and, and administer medication. He's like, I'm a dental assistant. I'm yeah. like, I'm, like I'm, I'm not a medic, but he ended up spending time doing it with the medical folks. And if someone had an issue with a tooth, he was right there next to the dentist. Wow. You joined JRT, JROTC as a freshman. Mm-hmm. But didn't have any plans like, oh, after this, I'm going to apply for the academy or I'm going to try for an ROTC scholarship. You still were going to take a year off. So the sergeant major tried to talk me in, and so did um, uh, Lieutenant Colonel uh, Schillingberg. Um, they both tried to talk me into it. Um, they, they said, hey, don't worry. We'll, we'll write you the letters to, to get you into to West Point or whatever academy you want to go to type things. Wow. I just it, – it didn't feel – it wasn't – it didn't feel – right i guess that's the way of saying it It just it just none of it felt like what i wanted to do and i think that was my biggest issue i didn't know what i wanted to do so i did decide to a buddy talked me into it we were chit-chatting and we decided that we were going to go airborne infantry um for the smallest amount of time in the military possible under the uh what was it the buddy program that they had back in where two people could sign up and go to basic and yeah i I do training same time uh we were going to do that um and just for the college money well sure college money you get va you get va loan out of it you know it's all it's all a good deal and then um we were getting lied to by our recruiter so he ended up still staying with the army but he went heavy heavy track mechanic Uh, i had asthmatic bronchitis and chicken pox um four months before i graduated high school okay so the army decided in their infinite wisdom uh with meps decided that i had asthma and so i'd have to come in under a waste and i knew i wasn't going to do that because that messes up va long down the road right so this but this was going into the army this was going into the army so before i graduated from high school i had basically already called off going into the army and just Walked around the corner and talked to Tech Sergeant Mixer and Tech Sergeant David Lee Roth. Still has his card um, with the Air Force. Um, They helped me get through the paperwork at it. And um, so Roth was the guy taking over because Mixer was, uh, I think he was retiring or going back to the Air Force from recruiting. And um, he told me that it was just as likely for me to make E5 in four years as it was for him to make master sergeant in the next four years. Oh, okay. 
So, I mean, he's like, look, man, I, I know you're thinking army time, but air force doesn't work that way. So I end up going in, in February of 98. Ah, okay. uh, so I spent a good six months or so on the delayed enlistment. <clears throat> Where's your maps at? Once again, funny story. Uh, my MEPS was the next town over in Beckley, West Virginia. Okay. It's February and we are getting blanketed um, by over three foot, like three foot of snow. Um, the week before the folks got stuck who were coming down to that MEPS, they got stuck in the hotel uh, right up the road from it. Um, so they decided they were going to hop us all in a bus and they were going to drive us up to Columbus, Ohio's MEPS. Oh, God. So we hopped in a bus. They drove us and picked up all the other folks who were supposed to go to the Beckley Meps, and they dropped us off up there. The so that's we get there that day. We go to the rooms. We you know eat Pizza Hut. Everyone you know the drunken debauchery that is the night before Meps, <laughs> uh, which I was a dork, didn't take part. Um, and then the next day, they're like, "Hey, who all was supposed to be going through the Beckley West Virginia Meps?" A bunch of us raised our hands. Like, good thing you're not there. The roof just collapsed from snow. Oh Jesus. <laughs> So, yeah. Um, so that's that's the MEP station I went through. So did you swear in at MEPS? I did. Uh, up in Columbus, Ohio. Wow. Columbus, Ohio, 98 or February 98, right? You said you went up there? Uh, right. Yeah. Because my first day on basic training at uh, was the 4th of February of 98. Oh, that's when you went to basic. That's when I went to basic. So I did okay. my first swear in under the, the delayed enlistment program with the Air Force months, months prior. So probably like yeah. June, July-ish of the prior summer. And oh, then okay. The pre-flight swearing in. <laughs> All right. So they, you're at basic now in February. Huh. Not a bad, not a bad time to go, I suppose. Oh no, it was it was nice and cool in San Antonio. Yeah. Um, any, any issues with basic? How was your, how'd your basic go? Were you, um, um, not in basic. Um, I was a element leader because I had the JRTC background. Um, one of the guys brought the plague with him. We don't know what it was, but it was, it it was a flu like no other. And it just went right through us. So I got removed as an element leader. Um, about a week in because I got hit by the flu and someone decided not to take care of their boots and stuff underneath their bed. Oh, geez. So then I got moved on to latrine duty, which not bad. I enjoyed it. Did you stay with uh, your flight or did they drop you back? Oh, no, didn't get recycled because most of us were having, it was one of those, it's like, hey, we lost faith in you as an element leader. I'm like, I never had faith in me as an element leader. Good call. <laughs> You go through, it's easy to talk about it now because you went through it, but at the time, you know, you don't know what to expect. You don't know if what, you know, if you're going to make it and all that kind of stuff. Do you have those feelings? Did you have uh, nervousness, fear, you know, any of that stuff as you're going through it? Oh, yeah, there were there was a couple of times and it a lot of it was I, I had never really been home away from home for more than like two, two and a half weeks at a time. Sure. So, you know, homesickness kind of kicked in, but it more became one of those. It's like, look, it, look, dummy, just apply yourself a little bit harder to a few of these things and you'll be fine. I mean, you already got yelled out by the, by the TI. And he said, you know, hey, what is your redeeming factor? Why should I not just kick you out now? It's like every time I screw up, I at least learn from it. 
Yeah. And I don't think he could believe he heard that because he thought he was going to get some begging or something like that. And he goes, go and let Trudy clean. It was, you've totally disarmed him, huh? <laughs> I, I, I have to, I have to believe that because the look that he gave me on his face was, I've seen that look on my own face and my wife's when um, our daughter <laughs> says something, we try not to laugh. <laughs> right. But yeah. you get the uh, first time you're around people from not where you're from, right? You buy, uh, a you... little bit. It was. Um, I mean, it was mostly just uh, for the large part. It was a lot of West Virginia, Ohio, Kentucky boys types. Was so it really? It would, huh. I mean, we but I mean, on our bay, it was a lot of us. Yeah. On the other side, there were some folks from the other. But it, it wasn't a huge you know, it wasn't like this huge melting pot where folks were trying to figure out how to get along. We, we yeah. did just fine. Um, right. it, we, we all basically all came in with the same concept. We get through this together and yeah. we get through it. Cooperate and graduate, right? I like that. <laughs> I'm sure they told you a million times, but no, we didn't. The, the three guys that we had did not have any cutesy sayings. It was wake <laughs> you up in the morning, blasting, uh, smack my bitch up by prophecy or prodigy. Yeah. That's it's always amazing. Those, those guys who do that, not for themselves, but just to annoy everybody else. So, but they're consistent. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It was two security forces guys. And I think the other one was like a logistics kind of guy. And that's when I realized, cause I went in open general. That's when I realized what I didn't want to do in the air force. Oh, so you didn't come in with a contracted job? No, I scored high enough, as they said, they wanted to put me in maintenance, and I am not, my, my hands do not remember the maintenance type stuff. So I, yeah. I am hands-on kind of guy, uh, fixing cars and stuff. And they said, you can work on everything but nukes. I'm like, that's pretty good, because I would blow one up. Uh, <laughs> so I wanted to be like my uncle. He was um, security forces for a chunk of his time, but he was a dog hand. Oh, okay. So that's that's what I wanted to do. And then I found out that you don't get that till much later on. And there was a possibility I would have to hang out with these two TIs sometime in the future when they came back to the career field. So that's when we got a chance to pick our jobs. I looked at what had the quickest tech school and what sounded like it was going to be the easiest lifestyle for four years. And what, at what point did they do that? Like uh, towards the end of basic third or fourth week. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, because I know that for some of it, uh, our last, I think our fifth week, I mean, you've got zero weeks. So, I mean, yeah, yeah. it's been around for a bit, but uh, for a bunch of us, we had to get our clearance stuff started. So oh, I sure. think we did that in fifth week just so that we could graduate in week six. Yeah. Especially if you're, you ended up Intel, so you're going to need more than just secret clearance. So, and that's kind of how it worked. But I put uh, command and control as my first choice because it was five weeks, four days, and I was going to be a pop tart. <laughs> All but right. I, so how did how did you you eventually became a one and oh, right? I did. Went to tech and school. Um, they picked me and took the bus. Was, did you know anything about the job before you chose it? No. I mean, you you know how those things look when the recruiters show you because it's the same paperwork the same little booklet that says, here's what these career fields are. And you're looking yeah. at it, it's like, you know, all right, I know, what a cop does. I know what a cop does. Yeah. Yeah. This seems cool. I brief pilots and yeah. I figure out stuff. 
this sounds like an air conditioning job that's not going to be a whole lot of manual labor. Teapot so, said the same thing. <laughs> he did, and that's why I was thinking, I was like, yeah. Because I, <laughs> I, I, I somewhat remember us talking about just whenever we first came in, um, you know, why kind of like why we joined. And yeah. both of us agreed 100%. Uh, we want air conditioning. That's why we joined. <laughs> I had other reasons um, that were dumber, but still valid. Yeah. I guess. We'll go with that. So you're off to tech school. Where's your tech school at? San Angelo. So Goodfellow Air Force Base. Oh, nice. How long, that Your tech school was, how long was it? Uh, Six months. Yeah, I thought it was a long tech school, right? And I took and another one of those. Um, I became a one in O and not a one in one, the imagery guys, uh, because the one in O was two weeks shorter of a tech school. <laughs> Sound basis to make your choice on. Uh, you know, I, I, I've known people who have made life and death decisions off less. So. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What'd you think of it? Uh, it was, it was interesting. Um, a lot of the instructors, we were still learning stuff. Uh, and, and a lot of it was still cold war style stuff. Yeah. Um, sure. learned less lessons learned from Vietnam, those kind of things. Um, got to play with PowerPoint, which I never heard of. I was like, Ooh, computers. <laughs> so it, it was, it was fun. I enjoyed it. Um, I did well. I got talked into about halfway through it becoming a green rope because the green rope who was in our flight was becoming a yellow rope. So basically he just passed his on to me and I basically used it to where we could kind of screw off and stay out of trouble. Um, We could march ourselves. Yeah. um, And we would sing all kinds of different Jody's on the troop walk. Sure. Um, we almost got jumped by because it, it was there was joint training there for for intel type stuff. So we had a bunch of army, um, we had a bunch of navy, we had some marines out there, and it was also where the firefighters go to school. So we had the fire dogs, oh, wow. hardcore marines, and the air force guys. Um, but yeah, we yeah one of the guys with us made sure to make a comment about when he saw a bunch of navy guys walking around. Watch your step on the troop walk. There's uh, semen all over it. They hurt us. Good thing they couldn't get into our building. I had a lot of fun with those folks. Um, it was it was a great experience. Um, I, I enjoyed it. I, I found a few spots where I could step out from from the group, and a lot of times I just tried to hide within the group. Yeah, sure. Yeah, that's that's with everything. Yeah, that makes sense. So another thing, um, like I said, there's weird coincidences in my career, and, and I don't believe in coincidences, but. We were the uh, 1998 April Fool's class. We started tech school on April Fool's Day. Oh, you did? Huh? Oh. We did. So you're, when you find out your first assignment? Uh, a little over halfway. Um, okay. We were on the, the group of folks who were getting the stateside assignments. The class before us got the overseas, and the class after us was getting overseas. But we were all stateside. Oh, they didn't give you a, did you get to put a top five in or anything like that? We got a chance to do the dream sheet and I got my seventh choice. Oh. So, but the base didn't exist when I got there. I changed names. So where did you, where did did they send it? I thought Falcon Air Force Base sounded cool as hell. I was like, (laughs) Falcon, that's awesome. 
<laughs> so I put that on there. It was on my orders. And by the time I get through text when I arrived, they had just renamed it over to Shreveport. Well, so from West Virginia all the way out to Colorado. Right. What'd you um, think? It was nice to see mountains again, um, even though they were much younger and a lot more pointier and stuff like that. But I I spent four years in Colorado Springs and I, I enjoyed it. I wanted to stay out there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Moving on to your assignment. Tell us or tell those who don't know what I want to know does what your duties were. I get paid to talk. <laughs> um, really, uh, the preponderance of the job is briefing. Um, in tech school, they teach you how to brief a pilot to be able to, you know, you build the plan, you brief the pilot. Hey, you're going to fly in here. Here's your target. Here's the type of munitions that you're going to use. You're going to hit it. And you're going to get out. Here's all the threats. Don't get shot down. Um, you know, here's what I need to tell you about. Hey, if this threat lights you up, make sure that you do this, which depending on the aircraft, depending on, you know, country and doctrine. So we had to know, or at least be able to find the information quickly. So that was my training in tech school. I get to the 11th and we're working, you know, the alert system. And, and you're, and you're is, talking about the, the 11th space warning squadron was your first assignment. It was my first assignment and I went to space command and I'm doing none of that. Um, right. I'm briefing crews at changeover saying, Hey, here's what you can expect. Here's what the weather looks like, you know, all this kind of stuff. Um, and, and given some little Intel stuff, but there's no deep dive planning, you know, for a life and death kind of thing necessarily. And for those of you who are not familiar who are listening, 11 space warning squadron was doing tactical uh, missile warning uh, for uh, shorter range Mm-hmm. Ballistic missiles, essentially. Theater ballistic missiles, TBMs. So, and you were providing intel to them about uh, what could potentially right. be detected during that upcoming shift. Um, that, and so it was one of those, if something did detect the way that everything worked, because, I mean, if it's a shorter one, you're calling someone and saying, hey, inbound. Mm-hmm. Um you know, that, that's how the army does it. That's how the air force does it. That's how everyone does it. If we, you know, if there's a, there's a short missile launch, like we had all in Iraq, um, so desert storm, uh, which was kind of the crux of why the 11th space warning was built because it was kind of the air force version of what the army had for JTAGs and all that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it, it was one of those, the Intel guys, we were supposed to give a little bit of extra information to make sure that, if a call had to be made on a missile system that we were, we were correct. So we knew what it was trying to hit. We knew what was going on. And there were times that the system would just, there, there'd be things in the system. We'd be like, I have no idea what that is. And then we find out later what it was. Um, so that, that was one of my big things is I loved doing research. Um, I love doing pieces of analysis. I was always looking to see if this, you know, if this new weapon system or something was going to, to, to be something we needed to know or understand or, or how things were going to work. So, uh, you know, growing up, I, I, my nose were in books. I, I loved reading things about yeah. nature, a lot of horror type stuff and unexplained type stuff. Cause like I said, I'm a dork. Um, <laughs> perfect, but, in, perfect Intel troop. Oh my God. Yes, I was. Uh, the funniest thing is that we had generals who would sometime work proficiency shifts 
and they would come hang out with us for a day for a shift. They would, you know, they'd send it to con- the, con- the console. They maybe run a training run for an evaluation to make sure they're still good. But I still remember one of the generals just comes over and goes, and I'm an A1C. Um, he's like, hey, has this got the, the top secret stuff on it? It's like, yes, sir. <laughs> Have you found the aliens yet? Oh, jeez. <laughs> no, sir, I haven't. Have you looked? Oh, not a whole lot. Want to? And he just looks at me and goes, yeah. And really? so we're like, we're, we're, you know, we're, we're in the system looking for Project Blue Book or UFO or just we're doing all this stuff. And so for 35 minutes, I'm just sitting there and there's a one star just hanging out with me. And we're chit-chatting, laughing, joking around about, you know, UFOs and aliens. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was it was it was one of those experiences that I lost the mystique of higher ranking NCOs and officers. I mean, they they just they put their pants on one leg at a time. They yeah, kiss them sure. up, they breathe oxygen. And I've as my supervisor put it at the time, I'm probably hung better than they are. <laughs> so he told me that before the first time I briefed the general. And it's always stuck with me because it's like, all right, brings me a chuckle. That's um, pretty good. I like yeah, that. Uh, we, we had people who came in there and they're like, hey, so, you know, they come in for tours and they're like, why is there an Intel A1C just sitting here by himself? And he's your Intel guy. And my captain was like, because he's my Intel guy. I trust him. Yeah. And he knows and, what he's doing. Yeah. And so the guy came around and I basically was some uh, one, part of the joint staff at the Pentagon. And so I briefed him on the system and I explained everything and how it works. And, and, you know, I, I gave the dog and pony show. And next thing I know, I'm, I, you know, two weeks later, I'm getting a thank you card from the guy going like, Hey, you know, my apologies for not for, you know, basically saying, Hey, an A1C shouldn't have this much responsibility because you clearly are at that level, which, Granted wow. to me, wasn't that high because our training program was so good. Yeah, yeah. And any of us could have pretty much given that briefing that was there at that time. Any any of our intel guys could have done it, and they would have knocked the socks off this guy. Any of the airmen. Our training program was that good, and you know, Chili Willie Blocker was just amazing on on setting us up and teaching us. <laughs> um, and then we, you know, it, 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 I got a chance to 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 brief the system and explain stuff spread my wings on a few things, do some research analysis. And, uh, you know, I ended up getting popped for below the zone uh, for senior airman and Man. got it because the timing worked because I was in JRTC. My date as oh. A1C was early, was the first day of basic training. So then it put me in the earlier group yeah. and I should yeah. have been necessarily. And the guy who was probably the number one who should have gotten it, um, end up doing something somewhat stupid. And so I was the, I fell into it. Wow. Very cool. And oddly enough, uh, I get a line number for staff right after it six months later, because it was the great staff giveaway at 51%. (laughs) Because I made senior airman, I was able to test that year. What year was that? Because I I wanted, what year was it? 2000. Okay. I guess I had heard about that because I, I, I joined up late 2000, um, but I remember people talking about that. But see, oh, yeah. you also got to remember, you joined at the time of the big riff, right? That right was, after a lot of that. Yes. Yeah, that was that was Clinton's big riff was 96, 97, into 98. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and they got rid of too many people. 
Um, yeah. And the problem was that they were trying to keep folks in and yeah. they realized we've got all these staff sergeant slots and we've only been doing 20%. Why don't we just fill them? And so there was a lot of us two year pop tarts who uh, there were three of us in my ALS class. Damn. Damn. So don't, we don't apologize for that. That'll take it. Right. Oh no. I still have the bruises on my shoulders from where some of the, uh, the guys who had to wait like 10, 15, like like eight ten years to pin on staff because that's how it worked back then. Yeah, uh, yeah. They're bigger dudes, and they lit me up when I put my what stripes on. So, uh, so it's not about me being good. I got like two points above cutoff. It was about luck. Well, and a, a lot of career is that you know, and and for every bit of that good luck, you know, there's another piece of bad luck that is just like, oh, I missed it by this much or something like that. Oh so yeah, that happened. It has a way of evening out. It did. But then I moved into the training shop and I got to help folks get spun up and trained. And I mean, it was a great job. Yeah. Well, let's, let's get into that. 11 Swiss is now, were you there when they were basically being dissolved? Yes. That was the time I was there. Okay. So they, they sent all the one Charlie's up to well, essentially. Mostly Sibbers. Mostly yeah. up to Buckley. So what, uh, what did they do with you guys? We were supposed to get an assignment team. We didn't. We just kind of got thrown into it. Um, two of the guys end up getting Northcom, but um, I had the choices. We were me and the wife, newly married. I had the choice of either going to Holloman, and I think one of us was going to work the 16s, the other one, this kind of special ops guys down there. And the other choice was AMC headquarters out in Scott. And oh, wow. it was closer to home for me. And it wasn't too bad for her for being from Fort Worth, so we took Scott. Scott Air Force Base, Illinois. I, I, I is one of those places. I mean, there's many places that I don't know a thing about. Scott, I really don't know anything about. It's uh, pretty much at the time. I think still now it was the only Air Force Base named after an enlisted guy, and it's 20 miles outside of St. Louis, Missouri. Oh, geez, wow. So. Um, what uh, what year was that? Uh, that was 2003. And what unit did you go through? Go to uh, AMC headquarters, a two shop. So oh, wow. the Intel shop at the MatchCon. So I spent a year and a half, um, basically as a briefer, yeah. um, you know, working on the read books and the briefings for the generals in the mornings. If you're at mid shift, when you come off, what are you briefing? Uh, so this was in the Iraq war. So a lot of it was threats to AMC operations around the world. Okay. Uh, right. Another thing that we did was, was I mean, you uh, weren't, you weren't briefing flyers specifically, were you? Not flyers who were actively flying. These were the guys making the decisions of which airfield okay. need right. extra security or do we fly in there or not? All that kind of stuff. Wow. So a lot of risk assessment kind of guys. <laughs> How long yeah. did you stay at that assignment for? Three years. Um, like I said, a year and a half doing um, briefings and working risk assessment type stuff. And then I spent a year and a half of the best and worst because I got made the comsec guy. Oh, I've done and that I was too. working with uh, working with pretty much an entire office of contractors and govies on mm. um, just uh, deployed support and um, infrastructure for like secret internet and all that kind of stuff. So, um, but I end up being the, the secure voice for the phones and the crypto guy. I end up picking up both of those because they gave me the crypto 
yeah. a comsec additional duty while I was still, you know, in the in, in the analysis flight. And I told him, hey, it'd probably be better if one person does this. Like yeah. this additional duty shouldn't be over here. It should be one person having this and secure voice working over there. So a week later, I'm the NCIC of that office. <laughs> It's nice to see them heed your advice, right? <laughs> I, I got to admit, I was heard, and I, 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 I was like, yeah, I had a great idea. Not for <laughs> me, but I had a great idea. Um, so yeah, uh, I did that for a year and a half. I got to go on my uh, second TDY, which was to San Diego to learn about a piece of crypto. My third TDY, it was a rough one. It was to Manhattan for a Satcom conference. Um, Manhattan, New York. Yes, for a week. <laughs> My first, at the 11th, my first TDY was going up to Fort Meade to check out DefSmack and NSA. Oh, yeah. So as an airman, I'm like, is this what TDYs are like? Like, I'm staying in a really nice hotel. I've got a rental car, good food, per diem. Is this what this is like? Yeah. No. <laughs> but, Do you have a crab dinner? Do you have a crab dinner out there? Uh, Mako Shark. Man, oh, my God. That's a hell of a uh, And me and the NCO. Uh, we split. Uh, so this is the one from the 11th going up to uh, to to uh, to Deathsmack and NSA out of Fort Meade. Um, we went to some place down in Baltimore Harbor and we split a bottle of Dom Perignon. Jeez, we blew our entire per diem on one meal. <laughs> I still have the bottle. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. That's worth it. Uh, where are you moving? Where are you moving on to after that? So. Um, I got orders to Osan Korea because I made tech. Wow. Um, so it was, yeah, I was, uh, I was a, um, I was a fast burner. I was the cutoff. Um, I was a fast burner who wasn't, I wasn't trying to be a fast burner. Like I said, luck had more of a handle in it than any skill piece that I had. Um, um, things were rocky for me and the wife around that time. Cause I was doing too much work, not enough paying attention to her. You know, was she still in there? Uh, she was still in at that time. Um, and she wasn't going to Korea. I was. And so then we, we worked it out and our chief called is like, Hey, these two are supposed to go remote at the same time. That's how everything's set up. And oddly enough, two months later, she ends up getting orders to Kunsan and there's a month difference. Like I get to Osan wow. and then she gets to Kunsan a month later. It's like, what you know, year, what year was this? Oh six. Um, I want to. I you know I I think they've relaxed some of the rules on bringing family, but then you have joint spouse, and I don't know how that whole thing played into it. But they were still treating both of you as individual assignments. Yes. So they had done. So Osan was allowing you to you know if you were married, military, no kids, um, you could do the whole joint spouse thing. Just no one ever talked about it. No one let us know we could have submitted a waiver and she would have been up there too. Of course. That's that's that conversation about the good E4 versus the bad E4. <laughs> right. And, uh, well, I mean, it was one of those. Come to find out, no, none of us knew because there was a couple of other guys in the same boat. And oh. it was an Osan secret that you only knew if you just happened to have a certain decoder ring from Osan. Of course. And it was after you got there. And it was during in processing. Yeah, nobody tells you prior, even yeah. though there's tons of people who are coming back from Osan. <laughs> right. Uh, no one tells us. So, you know, me and the wife, um, once I realized what I was, you know, that 
I need to spend less time just focusing on work and, and more on herd, you know, that work-life balance, the Air Force kind of coined the term like 10 years later. Yeah, um, right. We were doing great before we PCS. And then, you know, she was down in Kusan, Osan. Um, we, she'd come up and see me. I went up to see, down to see her once. Uh, my boss kept thinking North Korea was going to invade at any minute. I think it was so that he didn't have to spend time with his family because because um, <laughs> the full bird, he had his family there and uh, uh, his his uh, two boys seemed to be a bit of um, a bit of rabble rousers. Yeah. They were very yeah. young. So, no, Korea was great. Um, went out to the AOC. I was there for the uh, Tepodong 2 launch. Oh, wow. Uh, uh, yeah. And all the, the first the first nuke test. Um, yeah. so I was there during historic times and I'm doing air quotes right there because historic times mean you're working way too much for no apparent reason. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, all the single guys or the, all the people unaccompanied, you got work or drinking, right? So, or, or working out or you know, that's sure. Yeah. For, that's usually for the ex alcoholics. <laughs> they got, they got to have a new addiction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Did you and your wife do the same job? She was a one to know as well. I was actually her sponsor. Wow. That's a, you might be taking those duties a little too, too far there. So she, she came in in June 15th. I want to say was when she, and we didn't start dating until August. So she had a, you know, she had time to see if there was anything better and there wasn't. <laughs> so you both spent what a year there? 13 months, Uh, 12 months. Okay. 12 months. Um, you get, I, I assume you're going to get a, a joint assignment or a joint spouse assignment after that. Right. Um, so we did a uh, great thing, a uh, great little secret. If you ever spend any time around Korea or, or want to travel Jeju Island, it is, well, I mean, Jeju is kind of Island for, for in, in Korean as well, but Jeju is the honeymoon resort Oh, for Korea. And on the northern end of the island, it's got like all the nightclubs and stuff like that, you know, to go party yeah. and do stuff. On the southern part of the island is more relaxing, volcanic rock beaches, beautiful waterfalls, scenery, museums, wow. stuff like that. So uh, that was, I mean, we had been married five years at that time, and that was our first true honeymoon. Yeah, beautiful. It was. Uh, it was It was glorious. But um, uh I went, we went to Wright Patterson after that out in Ohio um, at the uh, National Air and Space Intelligence Center. Oh, the dreaded um, NASIC. You know, people said dreaded, but I liked it. Uh, one of the biggest things is because inside of the giant building, they had a little cafeteria where they actually like had food, which was great because AMC had that too. And at the 11th, we had that downstairs. So I, I was spoiled. Yeah. I'm not going to um, but they had an amazing uh, chicken salad wrap, and that right there was worth the three years of uh, <laughs> putting up with civilians and an architecture that did not. One, they weren't the hugest fan of younger enlisted folks because they're like, oh, they haven't been to school like I have, and they don't know, you know, they haven't done a whole lot, so they probably give them the menial jobs. And then on the other side, the military, we're only there for a small period of time, and this, a lot of the civilians. We'll just wait them out. Who were you assigned to? So at Wright Pat, we weren't, we were kind of involved with squadrons with underneath the whole big NASIC umbrella. Um, I was working the denial and deception flank. Oh, nice. 
So yeah, so we were the D and D flight, and so we had a little thing when you walked in. It had a picture of a wizard with one of those old devoted the motivational posters. Yeah, and it said D and D flight. We may be talking about Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> Do you have patches made up and everything? No, we didn't because there was only three military spots in there. There was an airman, an NCO, and a captain. Well, and nowadays, or now you're about ten years in. Mm-hmm. Tech sergeant, right? Married. Married. Um, about decision time, right? I got back from Korea. I had one year left before I hit 10 years. And this was 2008 when the housing market was dropping. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I wasn't getting out. Oh, okay. Well, good. well that was easy. Yeah. So, actually, real quick, this is probably one of those you're going to want to cut back on. Um, the same kind of thing at the end of my four years is that at the end of my four years was the war in Kosovo. So I was under stop loss. Oh, I had a great contract right. position lined up, um, yeah. with actually the best man at my wedding. Um, and everything was supposed to work out, but it's three days before I'm due to get out. Stop loss is still going. Wow. I really, I was like, look, man, I know you can't hold this forever. Uh, stop loss went another eight months. So he wouldn't have had yeah. the job available for me then. Yeah. So um, the Air Force made sure to keep me by stop lossing me the first time, and the second time crashing the housing market. <laughs> it was a little bit more of an elaborate plan to keep you in. Oh, yes. I mean, it was some evil genius kind of stuff. I'm pretty <laughs> sure that, uh, I mean, AFPC, I wouldn't put it past. Um, so at NASIC actually was when I deployed to Afghanistan. And, oh, well, uh, let's go. Let's go from there. Let's jump in there. Yeah. So I had broken my foot playing um, basketball at PT. And as soon as I went into the, you know, went to a walking boot, um, Meg decided not to put my waiver in or my profile in saying, hey, he's still healing from a broken foot. There was no surgery. Um, I had orders six months that I was going to Afghanistan. Wow. So I ended up barely passing a PT test right before that because, like I said, I was in a walking boot. Yeah. Um, so I came out of the walking boot. I think it was within two months I had did the PT test and I was getting ready to go downrange. Um, what year was this just because of the stuff that was going on? It was around the surge, right? Um, it was right before the surge. Um, okay. So I got there before the big Marine surge and the, um, what was it, um, Mosh-Rock or something like that, whenever. That was near the end of my six months in Afghanistan was during that time frame. Um, but I got there and it was right when they were separating General McChrystal's team and the three stars team. He was moving to the airport where they were going to set up the IJC, the like intelligence joint center. Um, and then I was still at the, you know, basically the four star at, um, at Kabul headquarters was where uh, I wound up. And one of the guys I went through training at Bullis at he and I were maybe six months removed from each other from basic tech school, the whole nine yards. Um, great guy, uh, incredible guy named David Gaspar. Um, he and I ended up getting moved over to be the day and the night NCOs in McChrystal's watch, uh, for the Intel watch, um, the small Intel piece over there for the American side. Uh-huh. And, um, that was, uh, that was an incredible experience. So, um, our changeovers. So people, I had a couple of folks that were getting on to me because he and I were in the smoke pit for like 30 minutes uh, <laughs> at changeover time frame. Yeah. Uh, what they didn't realize is that we step by step walked through the entire shift. 
and hey, this is what oh, you need to okay. do. This is what you need to do. Hey, this is it wasn't just a BS session. Yeah. And had the the full bird walk in and she's like, Hey, I need this. And my captain, she was an army captain. She goes, The day shift didn't leave this for you. So so ma'am, I'm I'm trying to I let, let, let me see what's in the system. I was like, oh ma'am, um Gaspar said you needed it by nine o'clock. Um I'm wrapping up some tweaks on it just so that you can get a good look at it with about 30 minutes for us to make changes if necessary. Yeah. And so the colonel's like, oh, awesome. Okay. And so she walks away and the captain's like, why didn't you tell me? It's like, I came in, I started work on stuff and I figured that you and the captain had done changeover, but pretty much they just walk in and like high five and they switch out. Um, and so it became the, the full bird figured that one out. And she actually walked up and asked a question one time. She goes, I think I'm going to make the, the entire crew start smoking. So you guys can do, because I think that <laughs> changeover happens. And That's we where like, most of the work gets done. That's true. Yeah. And so me and me and Dave were like, yeesh. So that that didn't that did not endear us to the uh, um the National Guard or, or reservist captain um who he had and the army captain that I had. Um, you know, you know what I found on those deployments is the 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 posturing for FaceTime and to look good is strong out there yeah it can be especially this was the time so mccrystal had just taken over a couple months prior and this was when you know there was team mccrystal that it was all of the great um counterinsurgency type yeah intel folks and, and people there that he had this this team that were just rock stars and they they had they had figured out the coin piece and implemented it in afghanistan or in iraq now they were coming over to do that in Afghanistan. Um, and I'll tell you, Crystal, great guy. Um, I sat in a few times on there. He is a very, very measured, very intelligent individual. I didn't always analytically agree with his stuff, but I felt his heart was predominantly in the right place. Yeah. Uh, funny story about him, though, is uh, one day he was he was talking to because he would always like go check out units and stuff like that. Talk to him. And he's like, hey, you think I could do? And one guy was like, uh, he was like a E5 or E6 in the army. He's like, yeah, my little sister just got deployed down to this unit. And her birthday is in like three days. Can you give her a call? And he's like, yes, I can. You know, it was like, wow. it never hurts to ask for stupid stuff. And yeah. the crystal was like, hey, anything I could do for morale or anything. Um, and so we're sitting there listening. And um, it, it's one of those. And it's like, hey, this is... Uh, General McChrystal, I'm calling for, you know, PFC so-and-so. Oh, you're kidding. Jeez. Yes, this is General McChrystal. I'm looking for PFC. Okay, I'll wait. So they get the PFC on the phone. He's like, hi, PFC so-and-so. No, this is General McChrystal. No, I'm not wow. fucking with you. <laughs> and um, it, it's like, hey, I ran into your to your brother and we were chatting. And he said that your birthday was up and that you're brand new to the Army and everything like that. Um, it's your birthday. Uh I mean, the heart, the, the kind of just like it was nothing to him. He was just yeah. like, oh, yeah. that what's her phone number? Where's she at? I'll call. I mean, it was it was that's what I loved about McChrystal, even though I wasn't a fan of some of the folks on his team. Yeah, uh, he had some incredible folks. Don't get me wrong. But he also had some folks who took that concept that because they were the rock stars, they could trash the hotel rooms and oh, yeah, do whatever sure. they wanted, um, which down that line, um, Michael Flynn was up the chain for us as well. 
And so I got to spend time with him in Afghanistan on all that. He still owes me a coin uh, because he didn't have one at her going away. Um, I, I enjoyed that time. But go back to uh, being at Afghanistan and being in the uh, uh, Kabul headquarters. What were you, what were you briefing? So and who were you briefing? What were, what were the sources you were looking at? If you can say. Uh, so most of the stuff that we were working on was so I was the international relations. So there were three parts of the team. Um, we had inter- international relations, um, kind of the reconciliation of trying to get the former Taliban folks switch over to, to work with the Afghani government. Um, and then there was just kind of like a, a general political type piece. Um, so really and truly, I was looking at how other countries you know, we're viewing things in Afghanistan. And um, that's whenever we found that there was a paper written on how to how Intel need to be redone in Afghanistan. Um, sometimes it was trying to figure out how, you know, other folks are going to react. Um, you know, European nations, especially when they started having issues and they were trying to pull out. Um as for folks reading it, it, it went out to it was part of an intelligence summary. It, it just went out everywhere um, to whoever said that they wanted a copy of it. And we really didn't know who all and how much it was touching until we get a call from the um, uh, from Clinton's team um, when she was what secretary of state. And yes. um, they were using it to uh, as part of the, the stuff that they were um, briefing on and looking at for trends and everything like that. So they would call us and ask questions, which was funny because we weren't even the ones who were supposed to be writing that intelligence summary. It was the joint intelligence center that was, you know, a block and a half away inside the compound. Yeah. Uh, They just said, Hey, we're not going to do this, but we did a good product and it made its way through the system and it made its way up to folks. So you went in uh, 2009, I assume, right? 2009 to 2010, September to February. So you were there for, you were there for the surge then, right? I was, it was the last part. Um, About two weeks, three weeks before I left, I think, uh, was the big, um, the big push down in the South, the Southwest side of the country. Okay. So it was the, the, it was the end of, you know, the winter season and things were starting to, to kick back off. And we just, you know, Marines were flying in there for a big push. What uh, did that change? Uh, how did that change your work center or did it? It didn't change ours. Um, oh, okay. It, it changed the ones closer there. We, we still, you know, all the other kind of work centers we would call and we would get information from, or we would read their in sums and put it together with information from, you know, Southwest, the Northeast, all that stuff. We would, we put it together to where, you know, if you just needed uh, kind of a cliff notes on what was yeah. happening in Afghanistan, there you go. Okay. Uh, but we did spend a lot of time talking to, to those folks, getting some information on them, finding out stuff. Um, it didn't, I, I got to admit we were, uh, Dave was very a dynamic guy, uh, Gaspar, the guy on the day shift, um, incredible analyst, um, pound for pound, one of the best Intel guys I've ever met, especially at a tactical level, but he could also think strategically, which yeah. is a rarity for folks to be able to shift easily between the two thought processes. Um, while I was there, I got orders to DIA in Washington, DC, um, tried to get out of them. Turns out I couldn't. Yeah. So, 
basically I came back to the States. Um, Why did you not want to go there? Uh, because I had less than 90 days to out process. And the wife was getting ready to start as a veterinary tech because she had gotten out of the military after eight years. So, um, so I tried to get out of them and nope, it was my turn to go to DC. So, um, we got it pushed by about two months so that we could finish out processing and everything, trying to sell a house when again, it's 2010, the housing market's not that great in Ohio. Yeah. So we, uh, we took the orders. Um, Got pregnant with the little one at that time frame, and then PCS uh, to DC that summer. Wow! How long did you spend spend there? Three year controlled tour. Ugh, jeez. It wasn't bad. We stayed on base. Uh, we were two oh, blocks okay. away from the building. Um, it wasn't the best. I made master while I was there. Um, got my course fourteen and my CCAF done. Yeah, uh, less than a month prior to the cutoff to, to be able to go up for master. Um, you need to do it early. Nope. Wasn't going to give me that much help. And then, um, met some really good people. Um, really good Intel folks, uh, really good humans period. Um, uh, another one of those guys who kind of took, uh, um, teapot's spot as a sidekick there for a while. Um, Nate Cauley, uh, prior army guy who is now a, a contractor. Yeah. He and I hit it off. We worked together. We hit it off. And it was like we had known each other forever. Um, we were just two big, goofy kids. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, granted, we're in our 20s and 30s, but we were just like two big, goofy kids. My boss, he rolled with it. He's like, all right, you two, get back to work. Go do stuff. <laughs> master Sergeant. <laughs> well, that was, that was tech originally. Then I made master. Um, yeah. I, Got along working really well with because um, it was joint. So uh, we had a bunch of army guys on the team. Um, I got to write my first NCOER while I was there. Oh, wow. Wow. And, Significantly um, different. It is. And I end up making the guy uh, or I end up um, end up getting warrant because um, it was part of his warrant package. Oh, wow. And basically one of his bosses looked at it and like, Man, he if he doesn't make warrant, he's screwed because no one will ever put this much time and effort into an NCOER ever again. Because <laughs> I wrote it like an Air Force one, because that's what I did. Yeah, right. Okay, you master sergeant, you're finishing up at DIA. What year are we talking about now? Um, so I tried to extend out there um, just because I only wanted one more duty station, and I was right about 15 years, so yeah. 2010. Um, or sorry, 2013 was when I left there. 2010 was when I got there. Um, at that point, I'd had enough for the Pentagon because oh, yeah. I had cl- I had uh, uh, I had an office that I supported over there, so I'd go over there, you know, bounce around, help them out with stuff, come back. Yeah. Um, great food in the Pentagon. Oh, so really? They had a Sabaros, a Cadoba. Like Fat Kid loved it. <laughs> okay, fair. Oh yeah, the Fat Kid inside of me was like, this is great. <laughs> uh, so we end up getting um uh, i put the list on where i wanted to go um for the bases um they had sent me the list of the like five locations that i could go to and all of them were less than ideal oh yeah i mean they weren't bad places i just i had no urge to go work for acc in virginia uh, uh, yeah. i had stayed away from acc my entire time not by choice, but it never really happened because 
I'm not a tactical fighter kind of guy. Um, oh, really? I spent too much time in operational to strategic land. It, it, yeah. You know, my, my mindset's not really on that. So it was perfect that I kind of got rolled into Barksdale Air Force Base to be the uh, oh. the Intel soup for the B-52s. Nice. Nice. That's perfect then for you. It was because it was the B-52s hadn't gone back into in, into combat yet. Um, they were still on that whole, it was the B1s basically doing all the rotations in and out. And so the B-52 was kind of just this, you know, big black middle finger that, you know, if you decide you want to stick it to China, you just fly through three of them, um, you know, somewhere out there to where they could see them and be like, hmm. Um, you know, it's a, a B-52 flying by has got a usually the same amount of clout and power behind it um, as like a carrier group. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you can easily just get it in there, get it back out, send it back to Guam. And so those guys were loving it because Guam was a great place to set out UD. Do you like that assignment? I did. So I was the, uh, I was the Intel soup for the, for the flight down there. Um, it was my first time, um, with airmen in a while. Um, oh, yeah. That's right. DIA, there were no airmen and at NASIC, I only had like one, um, two the entire time I was there. So yeah. now I'm in a flight and there's 30. We got a couple of brand new lieutenants. We got a weapons nope. officer. We got a major running things and the rest are all, you know, a bunch of airmen and NCOs taking care of stuff, getting them out of tech school and everything. And, uh, yeah. uh, you retire out of Barksdale. I did. So I spent three years at the squadron. Um, which I was only supposed to spend two. So normally the, you spend two years as the senior NCO in that flight and the, the officer, the major is two years. And so I would come in the next year, the major would leave and then I would leave. And then the next year, the, the, the new, um, the new flight chief, the wing, the wing Intel chief. So were you focused on retirement at that time or did you have senior on your mind? No, um, I did not have senior in my mind necessarily. Um, I knew that um, somewhere around 20, once 20 years hit, I was out when I got pissed off. Um, <laughs> it was pretty rough down at the the OSS level. Um, I had a good buddy who was one of my troops. Uh, we became friends um, while he was there and um, had a child pass. Ah, really young. And it changed my entire viewpoints on things. Um, it, it became one of those that I was more focused on the people than I was on the mission and making sure that they got their families taken care of because I, I told them all of them, it's like, look, my job is to focus on you and make sure you're good to go. Your job is to focus on the mission and get that taken care of. Okay. If you're worrying about your family and worrying about, you know, stuff that I can take care of, you're not going to, you're not going to be thinking about the mission. I decided it was time to get out of the Air Force because I was at Whiteman Air Force Base doing an inspection with two of the other uh, um, inspectors. Yeah. And sat down at a restaurant and it was a local restaurant and the waitress, you know, she knew the guy. She was she was talking to all the locals. Um, and I just got this yearning for put down roots. Um, oh, yeah. I, I didn't want a PCS anymore. I didn't want to have to worry about deployments. Yeah. Which, Oddly enough, was very prescient. Um, was your wife pressing you at all? No. Um, 
she, I was, I wasn't spending as much time in the office as I was at the OSS. The OSS, I was on call constantly. I was always doing text, answering emails. Yeah. You know, I was, you know, I was working, it was like a 10 hour day every day, taking care of the airmen and make sure everything was good. The IG was the exact opposite. Um, wow. So she's like, we'll ride this as long as possible. Hey, when, when it's time to leave the IG at the end of the three years, if you want to retire, that's fine. And while I was at Whiteman, I was like, you know what? I think I'm, I think I'm ready to retire because I want this. I just want to have a local restaurant where I can sit down. Yeah. I know people who work there, um, small town kind of life. And then the next day I go in and they're like, check the sipper. Um, I had a deployment tasking Oh no! where I had to be downrange in about 10 days. Oh, jeez. <laughs> um, yeah. And I was already supposed to be coded as non-deployable for that time frame because we were losing um, our, our, our manpower was dropping on, on my team yeah. um, because PCSs and everything else is just a, is just a bad timing. Um, so I was, so someone messed up the coding and put it for to where that code had just ended. Um, I couldn't get my cell phone to work because it's Whiteman. You can't call out <laughs> of the, the TLF because yeah. oh, concrete walls. Um, and trying to get everything taken care of. The wife was getting ready to go in for shoulder surgery. Oh, no. Um, no way I was going to be able to get someone in to help take care of things. And my dad was dying of cancer. The, oh my God. Back to the old agent orange kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, so before I left that week, the A2 guys had already started the process of the reclama before the IG guys could get to them for it. Because wow. the guy up there knew that I wasn't supposed to be deploying at this time frame, that someone who works the deployment piece had messed it up. And yeah. so he's look, man, I know that you're more than likely not going because of the last reclama is supposed to be for this exact time frame. So we've already started the process. Oh, um, that was nice of him. It, it was great. I mean, a great guy. Um, and so I get back and I'm sitting with the chief, the, the IG and the deputy IG. And I was like, look guys, um, as soon as this reclama goes through, I'm hitting the button to retire. Yeah. And they're like, got it granted, but, you don't feel it's one of those things you don't have to. Um, I'm like, no, I, it, it's nothing. It's not you guys. You guys have, have had my back on this. It's amazing, but I don't, I can't air force the way the air force wants me yeah. to air force anymore. Yeah. That's um, a good way to put it. Yeah. And the chief goes, everyone has an expiration date. It's good when you know. Yeah. So 21 Absolutely. years. Of change, so I, I put it. So 11 months later, um, April fool's day of 2019 was my first day as a civilian. <laughs> on purpose that's very good so you yeah. started as a basic flight april fool's flight tech school or tech school sorry and yep. and then you uh retired uh or your first day was april fool's that's ah, first day as a civilian yeah that's i mean like i said my entire career was a lot of if you believe in coincidences you're gonna believe my career was you know, more luck than, than skill and nothing but just right place, right time for, for something to fall into place. Yeah. Um, it, it wasn't without its negatives. There were some bad spots and a few of them um, spots I didn't like overall though. I had a great career. Um, I, I can't, uh, the, the air force was great to me. Um, it was great at my retirement ceremony. Um, I decided to just do a retirement luncheon kind of thing. I didn't want to get dressed up in service dress because um, may my dog, wife's dog may or may not have chewed up my low quarters. And I wasn't buying any new ones, um, but I wanted something more relaxed. And my mom's there, mother-in-law, um, my wife's grandmother as well. 
And uh, when it comes time for me to talk, I was like, yep. So today is the day um, when kind of the divorce goes final. <laughs> the room turns and looks at my wife. Um, and she goes, wait for it. Because <laughs> I kind of prepped her on it. I was like, so after 21 years of this this union with the Air Force and <clears throat> change, it's, it's time for us to go our separate ways. I get to keep half my stuff or half their stuff, which means I keep getting paid. Um, and they get to get a brand new younger version to, uh, to put on their arm and, and go through things. <laughs> and I, I kind of ran that, that little motif there for retirement. I had a chief walk up at the end. He goes, I never thought about it that way. That's great. Yeah, but yeah, that's pretty good. basically a divorce, isn't it? I'm like, yeah, it is stepping all the way back when I originally came into the air force and I got Intel. Everyone makes goals of what they want their career to be about. Um, for me, it was, I wanted to figure out something no one else had figured out um, huh. or put something to get, you know, basically I, you know, not necessarily like this huge legacy piece of like, Oh, that's the Shannon principle or <laughs> Singleton quantum theory. No, none of that. Um, but it was just, you know, something to say, you know, all this wasn't wasted. Um, there was something. And at DIA, I was working on a project and I was able to take something from each one of my previous assignments. And I mean, every one of them up to that point to figure out something that folks were looking at it from their point of views, but they were, they, they were looking at it from their point of views, but their point of views weren't, you know, they, they were kind of singular focused, almost stovepipe. And I mean, mine just, just because of all the experiences, I was like, well, if we take this and this and this and we do it this way and we do it that way, we might be able to figure out the answer that you guys are looking for or if there's even an answer. Yeah. And I was able to it, it took me a year um, and I'm working with a couple of other agencies and a few other folks, but we finally got it done. Um, so it, it's and I'll tell you this, it's nothing. It's nothing incredible. It's, um, but it's definitely one of those things. Um, I ended up once again, not tooting their own horn, but for the team, we end up getting a national intelligence community citation for oh, wow. uh, citation for, uh, for advanced concrete signature detection working group. Jeez. Yeah. Um, and it was just something that, um, we had put all the stuff together. We, we had done everything I'd done the write up and my boss, um, they were looking for folks and my boss was like, you know what? We're going to put the team in for that. Yeah. So there was a bunch of us from different, you know, not everyone was from DIA. It was, it was great. It was a bunch of folks. It was that classic, everybody coming together to figure out something. And yeah. it, uh, I was just lucky enough that I don't believe in coincidences. So my entire career as an analyst had led up to that point because Every unit, I had learned something that allowed me to plug into one of the holes that they had on their plans and trying to figure out exactly the best way to hit something. And I just happened to be that guy with that. Well, why don't we try this? And they're like, that even exists? I'm like, yeah. But you only know it exists because you worked in one of like three units that ever worked around that stuff. Oh, that's brilliant. So, yeah, it was it was great. Um I thoroughly loved it. I enjoyed it. The team was amazing. Um, there, there was a lot of, you know, ingenuity and a lot of thought that went into stuff that we just kind of built off of each other. And I was able to hang with these guys who had been studying their piece of it for years because one, I'm a decent pickup Two, 
I spent time learning and, and asking the questions to figure out what they knew. And sometimes them explaining the problem, they would figure out what the answer needed to be or where they need to go to get that answer. Just because now that they were explaining it, they were kind of circling around it from a different angle and looking at it upside down and going, like, oh, that's what's missing. I always like to finish out with two questions, right? And I'll give you some time to think about it. One is, what was your most significant ass chewing you ever took? Um, don't need to think about it. So um, I only really received two in my entire career. Oh, um, you. One, well, like I said, man, I always knew how to keep my nose clean. Yeah. Um, I had a, a sergeant major promotable when I was at DIA asked me, he's like, I don't have problems with you. Why not? I was like, because I do enough work and I make it good enough to where you guys don't pay attention to me. So I don't get yelled at. <laughs> He's like, that's a very E4 way of looking at things. I was like, yes. And my career has been built off that concept. But one of my first supervisors, he and I got along great. Um, it was a mid shift and me and Balcom, oddly enough, most of the best stories begin and end with them. <laughs> we were going to the gym in uh, while well, we were at the alert facility at the 11th Swiss. And I said, Hey, I'll be back in an hour and a half. Surprise was like, you'll be back in an hour. I was like, look, we are our concept to, you know, what we're working out. It's going to take about an hour. And so I still need a chance to get clothes on, get changed, get showered and everything like that. So about an hour, a little bit less than an hour. And a half. I was like, Nope, it's going to be an hour. And as I'm walking out, I looked back and I remember this guy's a staff. He's been around for a little bit and I'm, A1C, maybe brand new BTZ senior airman. And I just said it. I was, and like I said, sometimes I need to think before I speak. I told him, you just want me back early so that you can go take a nap in the break room. See you in a bit. Yeah. Saucy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And all the space guys, this was back when space had just was kind of brand new. So all the guys. Oh, and you said it publicly. Not loudly publicly because half the other guys were already asleep in the break room. <laughs> um, but you know the the senior and the 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 two NCOs that were with the captain who were on shift and one of the other NCOs off to the side. Um, two of those guys, like one was ex security forces, if I remember correctly, and one was an ex maintenance guy. So they're like, I didn't realize how they were like, "Smoke, you need to rail him in." And so I get in there and I come in, and he's like, "Hey, man, come come sit down." Um, and he wrote me an MFR memorandum for record wow. for disrespect. Yeah. And I was so pissed off. And by the time we got done with the conversation, I was like, I get it. He's like, I know you're pissed off. I'm like, I'm more pissed off at myself than I am at you. And he goes, what do you mean? I was like, I passed that line. You and I get along great. We are an incredible team whenever we're doing this job. But I forgot. Yeah. You're my supervisor. Yeah, And so it was not an ass chewing. It was him being disappointed. Ah. Uh, and basically when it came down to it, our entire flight, all of us airmen got trouble because things weren't being done correctly. What I didn't realize is that the bosses looked at my boss and said, look, it's not Singleton, you know, and it's not Malcolm who are screwing this up. It's some of these other guys because they're not wanting to take out trash or they're not wanting to set console. They're just not doing what we're asking them to do. They're not acting like air. Yeah. Uh, and so at that point, if, if he hadn't course corrected me, I would have been on that 
kind of piece of it. So it, it didn't take an ass chewing. It didn't take yelling. All it took was someone saying, I care. You're overstepping your bounds. You need to step it back. And it came from someone I trusted and I liked. No, I was an A1C at the time. Um, if it wouldn't have been for that, they never would have pushed me for below the zone, which would have changed the which changed my entire trajectory of my career. They left I wouldn't me have at- made that first time um, on that first year. Um, I wouldn't have gotten the assignments that I had gotten because a lot of them I got because I got promoted at certain points and times. So that one moment of him explaining, look, I get it. We're buddies. We're cool. But remember, there's still a hierarchy. If he wouldn't have done that, if he wouldn't have had the cojones to sit down and tell an airman that you're screwing up, my career would have been completely different. So basically, your biggest ass chewing was internal when you realized how disappointing you had been to yourself and to others. Kind of. Now, my biggest actual ass chewing is I got when I was in Korea. Um, a monsoon was sweeping in my, we're there for 12 months. I'm a month and a half in and my household goods for, you know, just in the dorm and stuff like that. It never got them. So the only things that I've got are like the two uniforms that I had packed to come overseas with me, like two sets of BDUs, one set of service dress type stuff, and a little bit of clothes and a few other things. Um, because all the stuff that I packed in the States that was supposed to come and get delivered went to Kunsan. Because they saw Singleton and sent it to my wife. Oh, shit. (laughs) So this stuff was ready to go back to the States, and it was going to be about another two months before I got it. Yeah. There was a big briefing that we weren't supposed to be doing that someone decided to volunteer us for. And it was like the the practice brief for the practice brief for the practice of the practice of the practicing practicing. (laughs) <laughs> so it was like three months before the brief's done. This was the first look. And I guess there was a full bird setting in it. The problem wasn't so much that I wasn't there for it because the LT was briefing it. And one of my airmen was back there clicking the, the slides. Um, I got chewed because we had different versions of PowerPoint that we used versus what was used in that office. Okay. And as the NCIC, it was my job to go check that for an office I had no access to. Okay. And why would we have multiple versions of PowerPoint between two different offices by the same people who did the IT structure for both of us? Right. And I explained, I was like, look, my stuff was going back to the States. And this major told me how much he didn't care and how much if I was that I was a dirtbag NCO and that I should pay attention to this kind of stuff. I mean, the dude had a concept of himself. He was one of those who had worked with Flying Squadron. So his his idea of, you know, this is how you treat leadership and stuff like that is during a holiday party at one of the commander's houses or something like that. He did an upper decker. Um, so his, his concept of me, I didn't care. I was like, all right, got it. Um, we'll get it fixed. We'll get it taken care of. I got coined for, for, we got coined, the, the team got coined because I made a waterfall slide for troop movements in North Korea to where you clicked a button and they would follow roads and go down it. And um, my leadership cared more about the presentation than they did the information. Uh-huh. So that was beautiful. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and he was one of those guys. And he actually was our head of eval shop at that time. And I, I ran into him again at DIA and, I just, we passed in the hall. I was like, oh, I know him and I'm out. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was my biggest actual ass chewing, but it, it had no impact on me. 
Yeah. There, there was nothing to it. But those were the two biggest chewings that I got, man. Um, one that actually was effective. And the other one that wasn't, I mean, I'd gotten feedback and, and folks were like, hey, you, you need to focus this. Um, you know, this failed. You, you need to work better at it. But um, those were the only two things I would qualify as an ask you. Well, that's good. Now, the second the second question is, and maybe you already covered it, but what do you consider your proudest moment? <sighs> I, I don't really have a proudest moment when i look back at the military it's it's more of memories of folks that i served with buddies friends good times stuff like that um i i whenever it comes to it if i've got to i've got one at the the master sergeant level and one at the you know the intel analyst level like i said before with the the advanced concrete thing that put a bow on my entire analytical career and it was great with a little bit of something for everything. So sure. Um, we can go with that. If you're talking the pure work piece, um, when it came down to the human aspect, um, and it wasn't me necessarily, um, probably at all. But like I said, when one of the guys lost his, his his child, um, the way that, the flight rallied around him to make sure that he could get as much time off as he needed to get stuff done without having to take leave um, because someone else was picking up um, and doing his job. Um, What little we needed, you know, someone else readily just said, I'll do it. Um, Folks wanted, you know, folks who had issues with, with death and all that kind of stuff who still went to support, they went to the funeral um, the outpouring of support that that he got um, for me, it, it was one of my proudest moments because I got a chance to see in the worst. Oh yeah, sure, sure. Spot of a human being's life, the the people around him were able to come together, and I have to believe that. Not to take credit for for any of it, but I have to believe if me and the boss at the time frame did were at all toxic or making those folks feel like, cause it was in the middle of that whole EPR thing when folks were, you know, worried about being stabbed in the back by a buddy just so that they could get the must promote spots. Yeah. Um, no one cared about that. No, no one, everyone jumped to help. Um, and how they reacted. And I, I have to, I want to believe that I, over the, like two years prior that I was there had helped build a culture that everyone felt that, that this was the right thing to do. And they did it without asking. Uh If I asked for, there were times that I was like, Hey, uh, we need to get this done. Someone was like, Oh, Hey, we just finished that up. Or we did that yesterday. Here's the stuff on it. Um, And I would go to the boss. He's like, well, we need to make sure this doesn't drop through the cracks. I'm like, dude, these guys handled it. He's like, they're not even in his chain or work that job. Like, no, but one of them used to do that job and they just jumped in and they worked together and here it is. Um, so it, it was the, the beauty of people helping each other out um, and taking care of each other that the Air Force likes to say that it prides itself on. Um, I got to see it in action. And it wasn't an Air Force thing. Um, there's nothing the Air Force taught that caused these people to do it. They wanted to do it. 
I mean, these, these were the same people that That's floored me that I didn't even know how I, I had, I, I had an NCO who was, had really bad morning sickness. Oh. Her three airmen, she would end up puking in the office oh. because she wouldn't tell us to, for us to send home or anything like that. She was in behind a closed door that we weren't always going into. Um, her airmen, one of them would, you know, make sure she was okay. The other one would go get her water and gum. And the other one's bagging up the, the puke and putting a new bag in and taking that one out to the dumpster. And no one said anything to her. Oh, like, I was like, why didn't you guys tell me? Like, well, she didn't want you guys to know until it got to the point that the airmen were like, you need to send her home because she won't listen to us. <laughs> um, and so they, they just jumped in and like these people, these Millennials that people talk crap about jumped in and took care of folks, weren't asked, knew they weren't going to get anything out of it. And I mean, they're helping one of them's bagging up and taking out puke. That's not something you can easily ask someone to do. And that, that, those kind of human moments gave me faith that, all right, the Air Force might be okay because some of these folks, they're going to go on and they're going to infect someone else with this kind of. Let me take care of, let me protect you. Let me help you. Yeah. And it's not just about me. When my airman would say, Hey, um, Hey, what's your goal? Oh, I want to be chief. Um, why? Chief's the highest rank. All right. You want to be an E9. You don't want to be a chief. We've got some work to do. <laughs> um, anytime someone told me as an airman that they wanted to be a chief and they couldn't say why I knew for a fact, they were just chasing that next rank so yeah. that they could make themselves look good. And most of them turn out to be shameless self-promoters and E9s. Some of them turn out okay. Um, But the ones who just, they they, they don't care. They just jump in and they help where they can. They'll stay late. They'll, you know, they'll, they'll do things. They don't mind. Um, Some do and they won't tell you, but, but I'm not talking about the one, but folks, it was amazing that folks would just volunteer for whatever stupidity came down the the pipe. I never had a problem getting my volunteer spots because they knew that they would get taken care of. Yeah. So I had a hand in that culture and watching it actually happen. And it was a reflex for them to jump in and help. There's nothing better than that. Well, damn, you're inspiring me and I'm an old crusty son of a bitch. So retired air force master sergeant Shannon Singleton. It's been an honor to get your story. Uh, and a privilege to hear you speak today. Thank you for the opportunity. And like you said, this is when I'm gone, um, this will be something that my daughter can let the grandkids listen to or the wife will still have around. Thanks to this, our legacies can live on. Well, if they're anything like me, they'll be just as inspired listening to you speak and listening to your career. It's been has been a blast going through your uh, going through your story and your life. And I thank you for sharing it with me today. Anytime. I've got some folks who are actually better than me. So um, I will reach out to them um, the same way I was reached out and um, we'll keep this going. Thanks, Shannon. Thanks, sir. You have a good one. On behalf of Master Sergeant Singleton, I'd like to thank you for listening today. I hope you enjoyed the show, and if you did, please leave a like and a comment and share the podcast with someone else. And as always, make sure to download the next episode for more service origin stories. So until next time, on your feet is Master.